and welcome to yet another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we break down and review movies, TV shows, trailers, and all things pop culture. My name is Emmett, and I'm joined today by my co-host and six-time Pokemon Elite champion, Ivan. It might have been seven times after last year. I can't wow. last track count. Yeah. Can I be honest? I've never beaten all four. Never? I don't think so. Nah, that can't be true. You gotta, you had at least gone through the for the original games. I played the blue one, and then I don't think I knew where to go as a kid, so I kept getting lost, and then I just stopped <laughs> playing, and then I revisited it, and then I still couldn't beat the four, and I realized that this was just not meant for me. <laughs> yeah, I could kind of see how an RPG becomes a little cumbersome to complete. It's not my game style. You get me on a battle royale, that's where I shine. And strategy games. Yeah. Anything that re- requires being ruthless or emotionless, that's my, you know, that's up my alley. Oh, you'll be pretty good at politics then, too. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of politics, let's get into the news. Ted Cruz in the news this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's not this podcast. That's, that's oh, one. oh, oh, no, that's our Saturday show, right? Oops, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a quiet week, I feel like. I mean, there was stuff on, like, Justice League leaks, and I think there was some Spider-Man stuff, but we're kind of sick of that, so we're going to skip over it, because in the end, it's really not that important <laughs> uh, to what's actually going to happen. Uh, one thing that I did notice, though, immediately after finishing WandaVision... I was recommended the the New Legends episodes for Marvel. Uh, So they did one for Wanda and for Vision before this series, and now they just released one for Falcon and Winter Soldier. They're kind of just like every single line that these uh, supporting actors have had in the past movies. So each of these characters have been in, what, like three, maybe four at most movies. So they don't really have that many speaking parts in each of the movies. So they get like a six or seven minute trailer. It doesn't really give you that great a prep for the episode though. Or for like the series coming out. Did they do any like watch list kind of thing for in prep for WandaVision? I feel like they did something like that before that might be missing here. No, they did not until uh, the day before this finale where I guess it was Darcy's list of what movies to watch. And it was like, a list of like five or six movies and it was like 10 hours of content or more <laughs> it was released the day before the finale it's like wait what you should have done this well before yeah that seems like something to do right before the season drops oops <laughs> yeah and i only saw that on on a tweet too that wasn't like a a line in the disney plus categories because I, I, I know they did ahsoka like Catch up on Ahsoka with these episodes and movies. But no, I don't think they did anything um, for WandaVision. And I'd be surprised if they do for Falcon Winter Soldier. The marketing campaign for the show has been really good, though. Like, it's, it's always been like that's I don't think I don't know if you saw the interview that um, Elizabeth Olsen had last week with. Oh, no, it, it, I think it was this week with uh with Jimmy Fallon, where they turned them black and white and they had almost like they're living in their own hex world. Yeah, I, th- I saw the thumbnail for it, but I didn't click on it. Was it good? It was pretty clever. Yeah, it, like riffed on the show a little bit. Um, but th- th- it's had this consistent theme of of, of marketing there. So they kind of, I guess they, I hope we get a similar theme to Falcon the Winter Soldier. But that series just kind of seems like a straightforward MCU movie. So I'm not sure how creative they can get with that. 
Well, Anthony Mackie did uh, the Hot Ones special that I sent you. Oh, you're right. Yeah. That one I was am. pretty good. They do. Um, they touch on like Marvel and having to one up themselves in every movie, which is a difficult task. Uh, and how it's like being a supporting actor in like a Captain America movie, how it feels there, and then getting your own special after that. Uh, definitely worth a watch if you haven't watched it. Although it's like 20 something minutes long, 22 minutes. Those always feel really good. Like I always put on the hot ones in as like a podcast viewing for me. Like I'll play it on while I'm like plugging away at anything or get catching up on, on emails or yeah. something. It's lost its allure that it's not in person. It's like you don't get to see them fight through the wings together. It's like cut scenes back and forth. And it's like, is Sean even eating yeah. coated wings? Because <laughs> he's not affected at all. Yeah, that guy, his gut's got to be like, like comprised of something, <laughs> something else at this point. Um, also in the news, not really in the news, I would say, is the new Disney movie, right in the Last Dragon. I feel like this did not get any publicity, and I, I was seeing that a lot on the timeline too. That people who are right in the demographic of a Disney movie fan were not getting ads for it, so everyone was surprised that that just got launched this week yeah my um actually the only reason why i kind of heard about it is my my sister-in-law actually refreshed my memory on it about a week ago or so because usually we'll do you know my, my brother and my sister-in-law usually come over weekly so if we do any like big movies we'll like schedule it so that we watch something together i didn't know this was a disney premium uh mulan kind of situation again which yeah, that's um, kind of surprising. Like, this is a movie that no one knows about, and I don't know if anyone really cares about. I, I think people care about it and want to watch it, but I don't know if they're willing to pay. Like, Mulan got a lot of hype because it's turning a classic film into live action. Right. But this is just like, it's it's standing on its own legs, and you're kind of hurting it by forcing people to pay for it. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it because on one hand, I I'd, I'd like to support movies as they come, you know, like, but but it's also like at this point, theaters are kind of open, so I guess you know we're they don't really have the excuse of like, well, we're trying to make up funds from a a lost uh lost opportunity from ticket sales. So yeah, I I feel like they're better off just releasing it that way, but I guess it depends on the movie by movie basis, right? Like if they're really um down in the woods a little bit in terms of how much money they packed into it i'm sure they're trying to recoup some of that um i don't mind paying the 30 dollars if if it's a movie that i'm interested in but this one like you pointed out um if i wasn't watching it in a group i probably wouldn't be paying it just so that i myself could watch it yeah i completely agree but it's it's weird because it's like how much money could have gone into it you didn't put any into the advertising budget well, I think it's kind of like a sacrifice then of like how much are you going to invest into it at during like the COVID times? Like, I guess that's how they're planning this out, right? Because if you realize that it seems like it's it's strictly been animated movies or movies that they seem to. I guess Mulan's kind of the breaker in this one, right? But uh, they'll really they're releasing stuff on Disney Plus that I feel like they probably didn't have all that much confidence was going to turn out to be a box office hit anyway. Um, Mulan being the exception because I feel like they released that because it had technically already come out in theaters when we when everything shut down. Then again, Onward is the same situation with that, so I'm not sure how why that <laughs> one ended up releasing free 
but Mulan didn't. Disney has their own plans, I guess. They're very inconsistent. <laughs> Any other big things in the news? I feel like it was pretty quiet, so I'm, re- I'm nah, good other, to head on to the episode. Other than Post Malone's extraordinary Pokemon concert last week, I got nothing else to kind of point out. But if anybody saw it, it was a pretty interesting experience. Um, in the age of, of COVID and everything, when we're having digital concerts all over, uh, definitely a, a neat an interesting and unexpected crossover to be celebrating the 25 years of Pokemon with Post Malone. <laughs> yeah, Marshmallow at uh, Pleasant Park was our generation's Woodstock. <laughs> what I what I say. Before we move on, though, 25 years of Pokemon, dude, I feel old now. Like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are. Dude, where I I I can't believe I've reached the age where I'm no longer covered by my parents' insurance. <laughs> Goddamn. In this country. In the, yeah, that that that's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway, I, I think we can move on. It's more or less a bit of an uneventful news week for the most part. So, so let's get into Wandavision, the series. The what was it? Series finale or season finale? What was it called? Series the finale. Series finale. Yeah, so we are getting no more. Uh, let's do a spoiler-free general thoughts on the episode for anyone who hasn't watched it. Personally, I didn't think this episode required a rewatch. Um, kind of like the other, the last few have they, that have really benefited benefited from a second watch. I thought this one had really good closure. Uh, it also leads into the next phase of Marvel, Phase Four. Uh, I guess there's like a small measure of regret, though, that certain predictions that we had talked about didn't come true. And, and also it's like some plot points that they introduced themselves that didn't necessarily get followed through. I'll leave it at that and won't get specific about which ones did or didn't happen. Yeah, I thought it was a really good finale for what it was. And I think that it was a nice wrap up of what basically has been a great character building arc for a character from the MCU that uh, you and I have touched on this before, but like didn't really have that big of a role to play and was kind of tossed aside a little bit for a while there. So it feels like they're setting her up to take on a bigger role in this next phase of Marvel movies. Um, And lastly, like I was really surprised by the surprise cameo by Anna and Elsa from frozen at the end of this episode. Truly spectacular to see. Spoilers, man, what are you doing? Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> no, but it, but but in all seriousness, <laughs> I feel like this was a really really good way to wrap up the series. I think it was a nice little character moment for for Wanda, and I feel like we finally got her fleshed out in a way that I don't think we would have gotten if this had been played out in a movie. Yeah, and it also this is the only episode that deviates from a sitcom feel, and it does so in such a way where it's like it's not just the style that the that the cameras were shooting it in and the editing was done, but also just that like they continually or uh, they constantly talk about how sitcoms are resolved in 30 minutes, no issues by the end of it. This one is kind of deviates as well because it's like, it's not in that sitcom pattern where they don't have to have a happy ending for necessarily everybody. You can have it for some people and some plot lines, but then others are kind of left open-ended or, uh, even a little sad. Yeah, this was a bittersweet one. And um, 
I, I think it, you know, I was kind of expecting something a little sadder than that ended up being, but I feel like it still hit on an emotional level pretty well. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the way that they ended it because they could have gone really dark or really really sad. Instead, they just did a, re- a nice emotional piece to it and um, showed some growth in characters as well, which I really liked. So let's move into um, now this section will have spoilers. So if you haven't watched it and you still plan to, uh, you can go ahead and pause on the podcast, come back later. But we're going to talk about scenes and character interactions. So much happened in this episode, so we probably can't cover every single thing. We're probably just going to talk about the um, the bits that really resonated with us or really showed us um, character development. But I think, you know, we still can start uh, chronologically and start with Wanda versus Agatha in front of the home, how the episode starts. So the one thing that I really like from this scene is an immediate, simple explanation of what Agatha's powers are. Because for the longest time, we have been questioning, like, is Agatha going to ask Wanda to teach her? Or how does she, like, expect to learn just by watching how to uh, gain Wanda's powers? And it turns out Agatha is able to absorb other witches' powers, which explains the Salem flashback as well. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I can't believe I kind of missed the detail. Like, I, I, well, not missed it, but I feel like last week I, I talked about how it looks like she drained the life force out of them. Yeah, she did more than that. She drained her powers. Like she, um, which I guess I, I don't know why that didn't like register with me last week. So to see it in play this week, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so obviously her whole play this time was to absorb uh, Wanda's abilities. Yeah, but like, why not just do that up front? <laughs> like, why do you have to go through all the memory, like, force her to live all those memories again? Is it just because she wanted to understand what she was going to be taking on? I kind of took it that she needed to have Wanda attack her, so that's why she picked a fight with her at the end up there. So, mm. but that I, would be I, consistent with the Salem. Yeah, so she ne- she needed her to get onto the offensive, which is why at the end of the last episode she had her children basically like um in her grasp which is kind of a weird way to absorb powers right because it's kind of like the most counterintuitive way because like what if you go up against somebody you're outmatched by i think that's the point like wanda is painted as the most powerful being ever and she like agatha can absorb anyone's powers but can she absorb mephisto's powers (laughs) God, not Mephisto. We're done with Mephisto officially. <laughs> we are done. <laughs> I think we're just getting started on Mephisto. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like, I'm not even gonna humor it with talk because <laughs> clearly. Let's talk about Mephisto for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't heard, <laughs> if, if in case you haven't heard, Mephisto was on the show. You just did. You just don't know where he is or how where exactly he's hiding, but he's in there somewhere. Senor Scratch. Senor and, Scratch. And maybe. Honestly, so I, I want to talk about this real quick, though, because I feel like there was so much talk on your internet this morning about how, oh, I'm so disappointed because it didn't, like, Mephisto didn't show up, or, oh, I'm so disappointed because Nightmare didn't show up, or there wasn't any, like, big, big bad here. And I was like, well, I, I had a lot of fun speculating. And you can't, like, I feel like Marvel kind of trolled people in a way with this show because you can't deny that they made direct references to these characters. <laughs> Um, heavily on the Mephisto thing, especially now with the Darkhold coming into play, and it they they confirming that that book is the Darkhold. 
I yeah. was like, all right, so clearly you do have a intention of building up to this character. But like I said, I think it was last week's episode. Maybe they're just laying in the groundwork here, and we're going to get that delivery not in this series, but maybe another series or maybe another movie. Um, because it feels like they definitely did some ground, um, sorry, some world building uh, to kind of set up the blocks for him. Yeah, these are the same people that are mad when they're like putting a puzzle together and a piece sort of looks like it could fit in one spot, but then they and they've had it there the whole time that they've been completing the puzzle, and then they realize that it's been in the wrong slot the whole time. Those are the same people that are complaining online right now. Like, yes, you could have fit in a Mephisto storyline, or maybe you could have tied in someone in the X-Men, um, like uh, Magneto or somebody. I don't know. Like, yes, you could have done that, but is it? you don't have to complete it that, the puzzle that way. You can do it in a simpler fashion, you know? Uh, and it's just, it's unfortunate that people who feel like that are so active on Twitter or on Instagram or anything where there's such fast feedback after an episode because then it ruins it for so many people that are like that are willing to just watch an episode and just enjoy it like I don't know I you and I talked about different predictions every single week and we were wrong more times than we were right vastly more (laughs) and (laughs) I was okay with it it didn't feel at all like Last Jedi where like I have these huge expectations or desires that the the fanfic like fan fiction comes true. I really enjoyed what they did. I thought it was a it was a fair fight between Wanda and Agatha, and then bits of the like runes threw me at the end. I was like, why is Wanda missing so many shots? And then it's like, oh, she's outplaying her and she's outthinking her. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of folks that kind of got their hopes up hoping that it turned out to be the theory that they were holding on to. And I saw a lot of comparisons to like what happened between force awakens and last Jedi. But to that, I got to say similar to what you were saying, I don't think that in this case, they set up anything for them to actually deliver on. It was more so like people read into things that weren't meant to be read into. And that's part of the fun of, of these shows too. Cause like, and you know, you and I talked a lot about the movies, but I feel and, and the movie you have like a year in between movies to kind of dissect and like go into detail of all these things, right? Yeah. Um, it made it so fun for a show, right? Because we're so used to dissecting the movies that on the show we're like, oh, this has to mean that. Um, but to me it was part of the fun. And I feel like if they delivered a really crappy story, then I, I may be bothered by it. But yeah. either way, I never read into this as like it a hundred percent has to do this or it has to go this way. Or I'm not yeah, going to be happy. And it, it's not that like people were misreading it at all. It's just that they were supplying us with, with red herrings. And it's like that's part of the fun is like presenting three different ways that this could end. And you just happen to walk so far down one path that you're unwilling to like backtrack and come and come back to where the story ended up going. And that's that's the Twitter fans that are out there that are just upset. But it's the same people that were like, tweeting aggressively against the opening episodes being like, this is so slow. This is so boring. This is like, (laughs) no, it turned out to be a very bold, ambitious choice that I think paid off pretty well. I think it did as well. And I feel like one of the things that stood out to me the most about this whole experience has been just like how, 
how enamored people can get on the week by week format for these yeah. things and how much of a benefit that is going to be for Marvel to reap because like I don't think they've gotten used to the like this kind of format of like they're talking about you and they're, they're, they're you're trending every single week it's not yeah, exactly. a, like the movie got released and you're trending for this week but next week it's something else or you know you're continuously looking at it people are continuously talking about it um and i did find that there were actually some folks that i've talked to that got into this show and are now going back and watching the movies which is kind of interesting to see because usually i would think you wouldn't get into the show unless you're really invested in the movies yeah you're 100 percent right like endgame at its best maybe trended for what two weeks and then was actually being like revisited in theaters for a month or month and a half this has been trending and talked about for nine weeks like and this is just one series and then that immediately having falcon and winter soldier come out and then loki like they're going to be trending for like the whole year yeah this is the equivalent of catching up on marvel comics when they used to release these on like more of a consistent basis yeah. And they it, it they truly I feel like Kevin Feige has gotten to the stage where he has exactly accomplished what he said a while ago that he set out to do, which is make this cinematic universe feel like if you're picking up and reading a comic book because it's the same experience. You have these crossovers, you have all this stuff, um, and you're immersed in this world. And you have people that generally wouldn't pay two minds to a comic book now going back and being like, oh, well, I'm heavily invested in this universe. Let me go watch this television show and let me go watch these other movies now. That being said, though, this doesn't feel like my Marvel anymore. You know, when like we started this, what, in 2008, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, and it feels different, right? Like it feels like I've accomplished what I wanted with Endgame and now this all feels like this is the next generation's Marvel and I'm just sort of trying to hang on. I don't know. Is that like a weird take? Do you have any similar feelings to that? Um, I feel like Endgame felt like the end of an era. I don't necessarily yeah. think it's like the end of my Marvel per se. I think it's more so this is the reward for me hanging on to this for over a decade. Whereas I feel like this next phase of movies we're getting to explore stuff that I don't think. And here, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to put this into words, but like, let me, let me try it. <laughs> um, when I, I feel like when you and I were growing up, you know, what's the thing that we relate to? Like we, we looked at Spider-Man one, two and three, right. That came out in, in theaters. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but like in, in my circle of friends, when I was younger, we always talked about like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had Vulture? Wouldn't it be cool if we got to the Sinister Six? Uh, wouldn't it be cool if, like, I don't know, we got all of his rogues gallery there at some point? And the thing is, like, if we if we want to be realistic here, it was going to take a lot of work to get Spider-Man to Spider-Man 10 to get right. to all that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, like, the MCU feels like we've now gotten to that point where we can go a little bit crazy and introduce these characters that wouldn't have worked if you don't have established lore there. Um, and that's just something that no other franchise, even including Star Wars, I, I, I'll add has ever really done and i think it's to me it does it's not necessarily that it's the end of one thing and the beginning of something that's not necessarily aligning with what i'm used to or what, what i want but i feel like this is an evolution of it i 
don't feel like I'm not like I'm getting out of the bandwagon for this kind of thing, or I'm getting off this stop. You know, I feel like it's just something different that we haven't seen before yet again. And they they just continually are pushing the boundaries for this because, like I said, I there's so many stories that I feel like I can touch on that I'm like, oh, I I hope they would get into this. Ask me six years ago, do I think they're ever going to do an interpretation of House of M? <laughs> I would think you're crazy. But yeah. they just did it. <laughs> yeah, and I get I the thing that really resonated with me, what you were just talking about, is this is very Star Wars like where I think everything up to endgame felt like the movies. And then this bits right now kind of feel like Clone Wars and Rebels, where it's like you got to explore parts of the timeline that weren't explained. Or even if it's a continuation of the timeline, it's it's characters that weren't explained. Um so it, it does feel like it's still maybe I misspoke and it's not like it's not my Marvel anymore, but it's just like I feel like I've received the reward of watching everything from 2008 Iron Man up to Endgame. And now this kind of feels like, oh, did you know there was a, a second dessert coming? <laughs> like, <laughs> And it almost feels like I'm full kind of thing where like, I don't know if I really want to eat this, but like I I'll, I'll try it out, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I I get that. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm in a similar vein to it too because I feel like I'm satisfied walking away at this yeah. point. Like like if you were to tell me that this is the end of the MCU, I'd be happy. I'm fine with it. I'm glad yeah. that it isn't the end, but you know, I, I get what you mean because you invested all this time into these characters. And truth be told, for anybody who grew up in the 90s, even if you were remotely a little bit nerdy, right? You did hear about Captain America and Iron Man and Thor before they got into the movies. Right. And it feels like the heroes that, or the little, the fictional stories that you saw in cartoons and comics of the phase right after we were kind of out of like that, I guess our kid years, right? Those stories are now going to get adapted. And so in a sense, it feels like it's kind of a passing of the baton. Because if I if I talk to anybody about Young Avengers, there's only very few people that know what that is in our age group, right? But like the yeah, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it, it's stuff that's going to appeal to to the younger demographic too. But I don't like I've never seen Marvel be a franchise that doesn't appeal to multiple generations, but rather like molds itself to kind of fit all. Because yeah. I even had I had a. You know, back when that was, when was this? This was like when Avengers 1 was coming out. I had a um, a classmate who was actually in his 50s over in, in film school. Huge fan of Captain America. Super excited about the movies. And to me, that was such a bizarre concept because I was like, I didn't think somebody your age would be into this kind of thing. But they were. And I just feel like that's kind of the, the beauty of this whole franchise. It's like it's ever evolving. Yeah, that definitely is one major accomplishment of this franchise. So we sort of deviated into general thoughts about the series and Marvel in general. So we should probably come back to the scenes a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we probably should. <laughs> um, we can fast forward a little bit. Vision starts fighting Vision. Monica is seen in the house of Agnes with Pietro who turned out to just be a boner joke the whole time. <laughs> you were right on the money with that one. One major setup for uh, for the name Ralph Boner. Yeah, I don't know if that's <laughs> <laughs> too juvenile at all, uh, but yeah, yeah whatever. Um, fast forward a little bit more. We get a scene of Jimmy Woo with Hayward, and Hayward is basically like, 
the history will be told by the victors type of thing where he's like, I'm going to kill Wanda and I'm going to kill Vision and my Vision is going to be the last one standing. <laughs> I guess his revelation of just being a complete idiot this whole time was the more outsta- outstanding, um, I guess, uh, theory that kind of came out of it, right? I, yeah. I, I always thought there was more to him, but then yeah. like after watching this episode, I was like, oh no, he was just an incompetent government buffoon. Which he did tell you, right? He was just the next man up when everyone else was snapped. You were right on the money with that one, too. I think you, no, I think I you also, mentioned that before. I also thought that, like, you definitely persuaded me that he could be, like, Mephisto in disguise or, like, somebody else pulling the strings from an evil side. And I, I bought into that, too, but because I never assumed that he would just be, like, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, and he was evil. And Jimmy uh, calls the rest of the, the cavalry in for backup which kind of forces Hayward's hand to get into the hex as soon as possible, which I think takes us to the next part that we definitely want to talk about is Wanda versus Agatha in the town square. So part two of their fight. That was one of the most visually intensive things in this series. (laughs) Yeah, even before the fighting starts, the major point that we learn here is, one, they mention the Darkhold, like you said, uh, by name, not just a visual of the book. Also that like Scarlet Witch was just born from powers i guess almost kind of like a um like an anakin skywalker being born from the force is the kind of comparison i would make and that she supposedly has more powers than the sorcerer supreme so really on the nose for bringing in dr strange later on either them fighting against each other or dr strange maybe becoming a little teacher for wanda who knows how that their relationship will be but uh, it does set up that there will be a connection between the two. It also sets up Scarlet Witch as the most powerful MCU character, I guess, at this point. Yeah, no debate. If she's stronger than Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange is up there for debate, then, yeah, hands down, she's the strongest. She's a literal Infinity Stone <laughs> walking <laughs> around there. But, like, even more than that, it seems like the Infinity Stone was just a catalyst, right? Like... Yeah, it it seems like we got, we got answers and we didn't get answers in this show, right? <laughs> because we we got the the inclination that um, Wanda and Pietro were mutants all along, without ever saying like specifically that, right? Um, Ag- Agatha sort of said that, like the the Mind Stone. I forget what she said, but like basically grew what would have died on the vine. So she was saying that wanda had powers yeah yeah she she kind of confirmed what everybody was kind of thinking this whole time is like where where have the mutants been at this point if we're going to integrate them at some point and the answer is they're around there's just probably not that many of them so that's why they're not so relevant at the moment um and then what are the what are the aspects of the the dark hold stuff kind of surprised me to see it name dropped like that and then visually, <laughs> given the uh, the confirmation of it, I know we saw the book a couple episodes back, but I didn't think they were going to flat out say, oh, this is the Darkhold. Yeah, uh, for the ignorant fan out there, not for me, because I know everything. <laughs> is this just a book from like the library that would have been featured in Doctor Strange? No, 
No, so the, and that's what you and I were kind of debating on a couple weeks ago. It was like, well, is for it... the fans' benefit, not because I didn't know. <laughs> um, no, so so the Darkhold is a book closely associated with Mephisto and demons and all this other stuff from the Marvel universe, but it was written by, by what they call the Chaos God in in the Marvel comics, um, which is this being, as as the name states, it <laughs> was made up out of chaos magic. Um, so it's it's definitely it's a book of spells that are supposed to like teach you this like very supernatural thing and whoever's wielding it, if you're not strong enough, it can corrupt you. Um, there was a whole like half season dedicated to it on Agents of Shield, which is the one half season I saw after season one because Ghost Rider was in there and come on it's Ghost Rider I had to get into it. Um, but this book was very different from the one that was shown on the show and. To see it in the MCU was really cool. I don't know if you caught it because I didn't catch it the fir- my first viewing, but on my second viewing, when Agatha turns the um, the page over to the section where you see the visual on the page of Scarlet Witch, right to the left is a map of the multiverse. It's the little, it's the symbol of the multiverse from the comics, which is all these continuous Earths, like co- almost colliding into each other. So, really cool little like name drop there of like the potential future. Because obviously, not that this is a spoiler at this point, but the next Doctor Strange movie is called In the Multiverse of Madness. So I guess right. <laughs> we're building up to that. Yeah, and I I kind of assume they also tease that a little bit at the end in one of the cutscenes with Wanda, how she hears the children's scream. I guess we can cover it later, but that's kind of what I was getting from that. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, there's a lot of built like world building that I think we've established, but I think at the core of this show, it's been a very interesting uh, character arc for for Wanda, and to kind of build out this whole, get her to the point of like she's Wanda Maximoff at the beginning of it, and she's the Scarlet Witch by the end of it, which um I don't know if you got the same vibes that I got, but like I feel like this is Scarlet Witch from the comics now, like she's got that almost villainous vibe to her. Um, yeah, for sure. Like not like not that she's a villain all out, but more so like it seems like she has villainous inclinations. It's like the magic does, and then Wanda underneath the magic is like the conscience speaking. Like there's a great bit in the same sequence that we're talking about where Agatha kind of wakes up the townspeople and they all tell us that they're sharing in Wanda's grief. And it becomes too much for Wanda where she's like crying and holding her own like almost like holding herself and drops to her knees and then everyone else starts choking it's like the magic is the scarlet witch and wanda then snaps out of it and goes oh my gosh i'm killing these people and she like releases the magic so it's like she's fighting against what the powers are it's almost like this gene gray and the phoenix kind of thing exactly yeah these moments are what did what made the episode for me uh, and Wanda, the, Wanda versus Agatha was, um, at its core, a really, really good CGI scene. You can kind of tell that they splurged their budget there, though, based on how short the next fight sequence is, which is Vision versus Vision. Yeah, there's a, this this bit here, it gets a little tricky to put into a time lapse, but it's like Vision versus Vision, and then Monica and the twins versus Hayward. Uh, but even before that, I like the little family moment they have of, vision and wanda being like all right twins like we never prepared you for this but 
you were born for it, like go out and fight kind of thing. <laughs> I, I I liked that moment. They really threw them into the fire there. She's like, hey, take on the whole military for me. <laughs> I'll be they right could, back. They could age up if they wanted. <laughs> they could have, yeah. And they I did. technically can't die if they're in the hex, right? Like, she could just bring them back. Yeah, that's true. It it was um it was cool to see the whole family fight though together. Uh, I think it was a nice little sweet moment there with them before their untimely demise. Uh, <laughs> but um I it it further fleshed out this whole thing of like it it made the, for me that sequence is what even gave you a bit more of a gut punch at the end because they had this whole almost like Incredibles uh yeah that's what feeling, it felt like right yeah. Um, I like the little touch they did there with uh, with Tommy stealing the glasses and the hat off of one of the agents. I was going to say, like, that's exactly Quicksilver in the Fox yep. bits. Like, that's perfect. Like, just taking a hat of a federal agent. <laughs> I love how he just quickly disarmed them, too. I, I, I kind of wish they would have used that this moment to give us a almost like a Fox Quicksilver kind of sequence when time kind of slows down. Yeah, but I think it would have been a nice little twist to have the kid do it versus, you know, having... Yeah, the... it's it's just devoting a lot of time to a character that they know they're going to get rid of at the end of this. And I understand they... that they that they didn't go with it. it. Yes, it would have been nice to see that, but he's not Quicksilver, and they knew they were getting rid of him. I don't think they got rid of him, though. For now. <laughs> For <laughs> yeah. now, they did. So, yes, I... I do believe that the kids will come back because of the multiverse bit, but at least ending this show, you don't need to devote what would it be like three, four minutes to a 80s song of him knocking a few troopers back. Cause it also wasn't just him fighting like Tommy or uh, Billy held them back. Right. Like he held yeah. their guns. So it was a tag team effort and it would be kind of unfair to focus in on one twin. On this sequence, though, before, because I want to dive into the vision versus vision stuff, but before before that, did did it kind of strike you as a little odd that Hayward's move after being um, <laughs> stopped by Darcy is to get out of his vehicle? No, wait, no. This is before, right? This is right before he made the run for it. He takes out his gun after all his men are disarmed and decides to shoot at two kids. Yeah, it was weird. A weird choice, because... He's only been preaching that he wanted to take out Wanda because that would take down the whole hex. And that he also wanted to take out the second vision because he wanted his vision to be the only one remaining. So it's very weird that he was like, let me go shoot at these two children because my whole army has failed. <laughs> he unloaded a whole clip at them, too, though. It wasn't just like, here's two shots. He like literally unloaded a whole clip. Yeah, it's, it's weird hubris because it's like, why would you think that you're more powerful than a family of of superheroes and mutants? Like, they clearly just disarmed all of your men and are fighting your killer bot and also a witch that he had no idea about. He probably heard that Ultron was able to kill Quicksilver, so he's like, ah, oh, maybe I could take out at least the speedster <laughs> kid. Yeah, true. But yeah, that was weird. But it was nice to see like Monica step in and flex some of her powers. Her um, photon powers there. Absorbing bullets and just dropping them. I wonder what she's going to be called. Is it going to be Photon or Spectrum? Like, it's one of those, because those are her, the only two monikers she's got. she's gone off of. Um, maybe maybe just Monica. 
Monica, right? <laughs> She'll get her own Disney Plus show where at the end she's revealed to be Photon. Monica Vision. <laughs> uh, let's Monica get into the Vision. Wu. Let's get into the Vision Vision. Monica Wu. Uh, let's get into the Vision Vision Part 2. This was a brain teaser here, right? Were I you familiar lo- with the ship of Theseus I Paradox did, before? I was very, <laughs> very, very on the basic level. Um, to be totally, this is one of those things that I recall from college when I was like, I don't, I forgot what I think I, I think I took a philosophy class, and they they taught us a whole bunch of different like ph- philosophical theories and things that kind of like brain teasers, I guess. Um, so I I got the concept of it, but this was the first time I felt like a professor was explaining it to me <laughs> during this fight. Um, I like the way that the that this was handled though, even though like I. I kind of would have wanted to have a little bit more of a CG fight scene there. Um, it kind of felt like they went this way because they probably were exhausting their budget at this point. Um, but it's also the type of fight, like, it makes sense that Vision would try and logically reason with the second Vision because it's like, yeah, why are you attacking us? Oh, because I've been programmed this way. Okay, well, let me reprogram you with some logic or some, some like, facts. with, like, yeah, with like a a thought experiment. And for those that can't keep up with our excitement and who haven't watched it, basically they go through this, um, I guess like a, is it physics ex- thought experiment called Ship of Theseus? Which is basically like... philosophical thing. Yeah, which is basically just like the ship of Theseus is put into a museum but it has rotting planks. So one by one, the planks are removed and replaced with fresh planks. And when it's every single plank has been removed, is it still the ship of Theseus? And then when the ships that had or the the planks that had rot are restored and then put back, is that the ship of Theseus? And basically, it was just like a um, a metaphor for vision. How neither one of them is the real vision because the real vision had died a while ago. And then it's like, well, maybe the parts that made Vision real are the memories. And Wanda's vision that she created had the memories. And this new vision that Hayward created had the the carbon-based form. So if you put them together, can you maybe remake Vision? And that was the whole point of it. It was a really powerful scene, I thought. Yeah, it was really good. It was very much a, um, it was the friends you made along the way kind of <laughs> feeling. <laughs> but I think... I thought it was really nice the way that they handled it. And Vision has continuously been one of the characters that I feel like has had some of the best lines over the course of his time in the MCU. Like I recall that conversation he had with the last robot, the last Ultron robot at the age at the end of Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, where they're talking about how humanity is doomed because <laughs> um because of its nature. Um so I this just kind of struck me as just another classic vision scene. Um, I did find it interesting, though, that after he basically unlocks his memory, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, White Vision just shoots up into the sky, never to be seen or heard from again <laughs> in this episode. I really liked that, though. I He's still confused, that... then. What do you mean, confused? Well, I, I kind of I take it to mean, because if he had the realization that he's now, or he is once again Vision, he probably would have gone back to Wanda, right? But the fact that he fled, I think he's like, now he has this like existential crisis on his hands. I think there's an element of that, but I think what the directors chose and what 
probably that vision shows is that Wanda created this world out of like not understanding how to deal with emotions or how to deal with loss or gain of vision. So if the second vision presented himself back there, it's like replacing your dog that just died with the exact same breed and naming it the same name. (laughs) Like it's not healthy. (laughs) That is true. There, there is a bit of an element to that of that there. <laughs> so I appreciate that he fled the scene, leaving Wanda's vision to help Wanda quote uh, cope with grief and coming to acceptance, which has been what the whole show is about. Like it's been the five stages of grief stretched out over nine episodes. Um, so I'm I really appreciate that the directors didn't just replace one vision with the other because it's not the same. That was the whole point of the thought paradox that they presented. It's like, even when you put the rot-free original planks back, it's not the same ship of Theseus. Right. It's like another, it's a whole other, like an evolution of it, I guess, at this point, which is the same true for Vision. So it's not the same Vision that was created by Tony Stark in the lab in Age of Ultron. It's something different, very similar, but different. Does it surprise you how we kind of went from from this and I feel like this whole this whole time we've been leading up to this fight we've been leading up to this whole sequence here and for for me at least I feel like the fight between Wanda and Agatha was very much like a contrast to the fight between Vision and Vision <laughs> Whereas yeah. those two were very much like a, it's an existential crisis kind of thing. Wanda and Agatha was your classic um, villain versus hero, but also kind of like this, I guess, r- reveal that Wanda, even though she wasn't a bad person per se, her emotion just made her, I guess, rot and do some pretty nasty things. Yeah, well... Yeah, so the vision versus vision is like a logical battle. This, on the other hand, like you said, Agatha versus Wanda, it's a power battle where, excuse me, Wanda has more power and Agatha has more knowledge, which is something that Agatha mentions in that Salem flashback. So it's like, and it's also the, the fact that Wanda knows the more that she strikes Agatha, the weaker she'll get and the stronger that Agatha will get. So it's it's these two different types of fights that I guess heroes can go through. Is like, how do I beat this logically with the least amount of casualties and damage versus like, how do I outsmart and outplay my competitor? It, it, this is amazing too, that like a simple th- series about two characters that we didn't really care about has gotten us to care this much about like how their fight broke down. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was a very, not just visually, but, like, interesting, on a, in a, almost at a psychological level, like, the, the multi-layers of this fight. Uh, because even at its conclusion, when the townspeople are freed, essentially, from everything, from, from the Hex, um, they they look at her with such, like, disdain. Understandably yeah. so, right? Because, like, some horrible stuff has happened to them because of her. Uh, but like Monica kind of points out, like they'll never understand what she had to give up in in exchange for that freedom. Yeah, Monica's a great friend in that moment because she's like, 
if given the same power and given the same opportunity, I also would have done what you did. So like they can be mad at you because of what you put them through, but they like myself, like anyone probably would have done what you did. Yeah. And for me, like it further highlights the fact that, you know, Wanda both in the comics and here has always been almost like this, like a harmiger of, 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 of tragedy. Yeah. And whether it be to herself or to the people around her, and it's it, it's so sad, but it's also like a very very interesting take on how you know you often get these stories of like super powered beings and like a lot of the ups of it, but there's also like a big price to it. Yeah, and I like the idea that she's leaves this series with the pursuit of understanding her powers and to master them. And I also like that she's teaching herself from uh, from the book, the Darkhold, because it's like it's probably gonna be teaching herself the evils of magic instead of like the positive stuff, right? So I think it's gonna set us up for a great battle between her and and Doctor Strange. I don't think it's gonna be a mentor mentee relationship. Well, that's what I was kind of debating with myself because when she says I, you know when she says the line and I could be butchering this, but like something along the lines of like, I, I don't know these powers, but I'm going to, I'm going to learn them. Yeah. Um, I thought for sure she was flying to the sanctum sanctorum to get some training from, from Dr. Strange. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, here's where our <laughs> advertised cameo comes into play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends up not being the case. And like you said, she's studying from the dark hold itself, which as a comic book reader, I'm like, Ooh, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be doing that, Wanda. But at the same time, it, it also explains, like you said, like she throughout this whole series, you've seen her villainous tendencies. You've seen that she's like a very emotional character that maybe sometimes doesn't think things all the way through. Um, and somebody with that level of power is ultimately, no matter what level of training you have, is always going to be dangerous. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Marvel even more so than DC um, establishes its heroes as like, not just these unstoppable like beings, but these very flawed beings that were given these very extraordinary gifts um, and just how like messed up it kind of gets sometimes. Well, it's also something that like the Sokovia Accords introduced. It's like every single one of these heroes could have been kept in check by some other hero or group of heroes. But it's like, who's going to keep Wanda in check if she's more powerful than every single other person? Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, I, I guess, at this stage. Tear the fabric of reality. Come back to Earth, Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, so that segues us to the cutscenes, I think, uh, if you're ready to move on to those. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're, we're skipping over, like, the emotional goodbyes, which um, were definitely, like, tearjerkers, uh, which is, again, very impressive to do with a tv series wait i I want i do want to say just one thing before we move on to that though on on those goodbyes once again that scene between her and vision where they're saying goodbye to each other he kind of alludes that they'll probably say hello to each other at some point again um which i feel like they probably will i mean white vision's floating around there somewhere at some point he's probably gonna at least come back to some sort of semblance of what he was before but i think you know, and maybe deviating a little bit from our typical conversation here, but I feel like in a year where we've had this much level of like 
total sadness <laughs> across the world. It's just so it's kind of like the show came at the right time to deliver these kind of messages, you know, like uh, a, a study on grief and and just like how important it is to go through these stages and how it's not all that, you know, like not all life after after a loss is is grief. And I thought it was the messaging of it is so beautiful that, you know, ironically enough, it's it's perfectly timed too for what the world in general has kind of gone through these last 12 months. Yeah. I think it's really easy to find deeper meaning in anything for what you're currently going through. But I think they did really hit, hit it on the head with this one. Um, just confronting what is upsetting you and labeling it, you know, I'm sad because of X, Y, Z and right. Dealing with that. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, that's the best part about this show. It's it's not been the action. It's not been the surprise of Agatha being or Agnes being Agatha. It's been the relationship between Wanda and Vision that like was assumed in the movies. Like in Infinity War, they were you know having romantic getaway weekends, and it's like, oh, I didn't know you guys reached this stage in your relationship. <laughs> but like in this show, we got to see like the love they have, and it was pretty you know, pretty pure and, and nice to watch. Right. And we, we got it fleshed out to a really good extent and it was, a, you know, and, and I keep saying this again and again, but like, we probably wouldn't have gotten this in a movie uh, no, just because yeah. these characters are always going to get overshadowed by your Captain America's your Iron Man's your, so it's great to get in this room. Dude, uh, let's talk about that <laughs> upgrade though. Like, Oh my God. What? Like they finally gave her her classic, like a, a modernized version of her classic comic book costume, and it looks really good. It doesn't look as ridiculous as it would look on the page of a comic book. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you know, if you've listened to past episodes, you know that I'm not like the biggest comic book person. I'm mostly just from the movies and shows. But even I could tell that this was like, it just felt right. It wasn't like putting her in a red leather jacket in infinity war like that felt wrong but this felt natural and like what it should have been marvel always nails the costumes on these characters too like i remember when we first saw uh civil war and the introduction of spider-man like they they nailed the steve that was spider-man yeah Yeah, like he looks like like he does in the cover of um, of amazing fantasy when he made his debut in comics from the little yeah from the little like squinty eyes and moving uh, eyes per panel over to like the way that the webbing is assigned um and so the same thing just kind of strikes me at this because you it's hard to translate comic book accurate costumes to the screen and, and marvel just continuously kills it like it, it just makes me not miss at all those leather costumes from the x-men movies <laughs> from the first couple of them god those were so bad Dude, every superhero movie in the in the early two thousands, it was all leather. Like you remember the, the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck? Like everybody was wearing leather, and like if you think about it in real life, how could you move at all no. <laughs> wearing yeah. leather? It's crazy. Um, cutscenes. So the first one we get is Monica being taken to the movie theater to talk with a FBI agent who turns out to be a scroll. So this does two things for us. Uh, one, it shows that scrolls have always been a presence on earth i mean we knew that from scrolls appearing in far from home spider-man's second movie but now we're getting another taste of it at the same time period so it's like 
how how deep does this go? Are we going to get other scenes or other movies about this? That'd be kind of interesting. And then two, the I don't know they didn't name the scroll that was talking to Monica, but she said that like a friend of her mother wants to see her and pointed up to space. This was definitely a Nick Fury, Fury re- reference, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. It definitely is Nick Fury. Um, and then in terms of the scrolls, like they're they're becoming very, very prominent in the in the universe. And I guess it makes sense because they announced that Disney Plus, uh, Secret Wars, no wait, no Secret Invasion, sorry, uh, coming to to the platform. So we're definitely going to see a lot more scrolls in the next couple of projects. Um, I'm interested in that. I probably feel the same as I felt about this show. Like, I'm not that interested entirely before I see it, but when it comes out, maybe they're going to just do it so right that it feels good. But, um, I don't know. I don't really care about scrolls infiltrating our democracy or, <laughs> or our leadership positions. And in, in the comics, it was, I, I think, uh, they were replacing random heroes. Uh, in the in the Marvel universe, until somebody finally notices, um, and so then it became this whole thing of like who who could be a who's been a scroll this whole time and who hasn't been. Um, so it was a fun little storyline. I'm not sure how they're going to incorporate that into into the MCU because you've established the scrolls as good guys and not. I was going to say, but like in the comics, that they're doing that as a villains. way to infiltrate the planet. Now we've posed them as like, oh, they were the victims. Let's help them and they can take our place on earth as we support them in space or something like that. Like, I don't know. It is confusing and it definitely needs more backstory, which I'm sure is something they can accomplish in an hour or two of either shows or movies. But yeah, do you like, are you super interested in that or? Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I feel like the cosmic side of the Marvel universe, I've always been a little bit, you know, kind of split on because while I like guardians of the galaxy, um, I'm not sure how in- how much more interested and invested I am in some of the uh, space characters of the MCU. Yeah. Um, I think I'll get excited if it ties into stuff like Galactus and the Silver Surfer or something like that. Like at this point, Marvel has their pick of the of the litter, like whatever they want to do, right? But um, the Scroll versus the Kree war thing never really interested me in the comics. It doesn't really interest me here here unless they can put a good little spin on it yeah they attempted it with captain marvel one and i think that's enough i don't then it becomes like trying to correct yourself and then it's like well which one should we pay attention to and i think just leave it as what they had it as and maybe just every once in a while just be like oh you were scrolled the whole time like in cutscenes or in or in many moments of movies Right. I'm I'm interested to see what the buildup is going to be because I know there's a big, you know, they're always going to plan a big event. Like the Infinity War was the the big event for this this last 10 years of Marvel. Like I wonder what the next big thing is going to be and how these pieces are going to fit into it. I'm qu- not quite sure. Like I don't like people have been saying like it's going to be the scrolls and secret invasion. I don't think because of what you pointed out, like I don't think that we're building up to them being the big bads of the next phase. Uh, but I do think that we're setting the groundwork with them somehow. Yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, the second cut scene was Wanda in a cabin on a lake in the mountains. Very beautiful scene. She 
already has tea, but is also making tea. I don't really understand that point, but I thought, <laughs> I thought like as we were getting the B roll of this, I thought for sure they were going to do an X Men reference at Alkali Lake, but no, it just turns out to be a peaceful place where she's like resting, and then we get to see the very last bit where she's like in the back room of the cabin, either astroplaning, studying, or the Wanda who is getting tea is just a projection of herself. Either way, she's like meditating in a very similar way to Doctor Strange and reading from the Darkhold. And then she hears either Tommy and or Billy or both uh, cry out for help. Yeah, it seems like they're going the comic book route with their story then. Like not necessarily like, you know, killed in front of her and absorbed into Mephisto, but it sounds like because like part of their story was being trapped in the hell dimension with Mephisto, as a result of Wanda losing control of the, of her, uh, fake world that she built. So I guess we're going that route, which I didn't think we would, right? But, um, because that storyline seems kind of dark. But I guess I guess well, Vision would be down there too. Um, by, no, by the be, same logic, right? No. So so here's the thing about both of these right because and, and I, I did a little bit of thinking about this before and i'm like all right how how would they maybe work this out they they had this whole speech about how wanda created vision out of nothing but she created him out of like residual energy i guess in her of the mind stone but she specifically identifies him and i think they did this on purpose right of pointing out that she that version of vision that's the manifestation of her sadness of her love for him and so that's like that that connects back to that line about grief uh, being love persevering. Mm-hmm. So I think that that what that's you're meant to read into it that way that that version of vision is literally a manifestation of of Wanda's love for vision. Um, obviously she gave him memories and all that to so that he can kind of function on his own too. But I think for her kids they might have done this the same way that they that they did the comics, which is you never got into it when they're first introduced. But Wanda, because of the chaos magic she's using, created two life forms that never were, that never existed. So she had to pull a soul or souls from somewhere and use it. And so it could be like they're playing this up to be like she dabbled into something she doesn't understand. And now her kids, she literally made them, but they just don't have a physical being. Like, they have souls, but they don't have a physical body. Well, that would be interesting. And then she's, like, tapping into the hell dimension and hears them and is trying to then pull them out Yeah, whatever the sequel is to this. Right, because that's what ends up happening in, in the comics. And, you know, ultimately, the, the comics play out in a weird way where at some point she she's successful in getting their souls separated from uh, Mephisto, but because because of what she's done, they don't necessarily, so like she has no solution to them getting a body. So she kind of basically lets them go into the afterlife per se. But at some point down the line, um, they bring their, her kids back because apparently their souls manifested into the bodies of other living kids in the world. And so now she gets them back as teenagers because I comic book logic. Um, I think they're probably going to go something like that, but maybe routed a little bit differently. I, I don't know. I do think they're going to be stuck in some sort of 
dimension similar to hell. I don't know if they're going to go with that uh, entirely the way it is, right? But I feel like after having the dark hold on there, after getting like bombarded with references to him, I'm pretty sure they're building up to Mephisto. And maybe Mephisto's a villain that's too big for a Disney Plus show, and they're saving him up for Doctor Strange. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're going that route. That that'll also be interesting to watch out for. I think yeah, I think the cutscenes did what they're supposed to do is like set up a plot point that you don't necessarily have to follow um, immediately. It might just be like a long payoff, or it could be the next movie. We don't know. But either way, I think uh, you know. Final thoughts on this on the series. I thought. This was really enjoyable. I thought it was a bold decision to do uh, homages to the evolution of sitcoms. And I thought it paid off really well. The only thing that was really tough for me was, you know, waiting week to week because I wanted to know what would happen next. So I, I stand by our comments that this is definitely a binge, binge show. Um, I also like that it's not, you know, necessary to watch before a uh, like before you go watch the Doctor Strange movie, uh, you had said it before where like if he appeared on this, then it was like okay, well this is mandatory homework and it's not like extra credit homework kind of thing. So I, I definitely appreciate that. I guess like the only reservations or disappointments I had was that like the cast in interviews intentionally misled us, which may have set up some of these fans that we had talked about earlier set up their disappointment where like Elizabeth Olsen teased like a Luke Skywalker moment and Pe- Paul Bettany teased a an A-list actor that he's never worked with like you don't have to troll us if you can't say something like give us details on the plot that's fine we understand that Marvel like head studios is like totally against that as it should be but you don't have to like troll us with misleading thoughts because then we're all going to be like oh dr strange is going to be in this last episode and if he's not then i'll be upset or like if it's not uh magneto or anyone like that like you don't have to do that to us like we you can just be like oh it's gonna be a great ending like you're gonna love like the action the you know the romance the emotion all of it set expectations that are realistic i agree i did go back this morning to 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 actually look at the articles where they mentioned that that elizabeth olsen said we were going to get a luke skywalker moment at the end which is funny because she never actually said anything like that the headlines took it that way but if you get into the interview with her and i'll talk about her specifically here but she said that um, similar to the way that the Mandalorian had a Luke Skywalker cameo, uh, the show she said was going to be littered with cameos from different MCU um, m- characters that you haven't maybe seen in a while. So I'm assuming she was like referencing uh, Jimmy Woo, Darcy, um, and oh, that's very different than how that is very it. different. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why I was like, all right, well, she didn't technically troll anybody. It was just more so like the Hollywood Reporter and other outlets kind of covered this in a really bad distasteful way um my bad elizabeth you back (laughs) on my uh you back on the nice list (laughs) but but paul bettany definitely did troll (laughs) yeah Um, that one was 100 percent troll where he's like i'm i'm finally across from an a-list actor that i've never worked with and it turned out to be himself like (laughs) that was one that paired with the headline captured from elizabeth olsen's interviews 
really sets you up to believe it's going to be something bigger than it was. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like I, I can't seriously say that I'm disappointed that, you know, whatever number of my theories didn't come to didn't come into play. I feel like I was very satisfied with what we got. And I'm, if anything, I'm just disappointed to hear that other people are disappointed. You know, because yeah, it, it I hope I come across me. as the same because that's exactly how I feel. I just mean like there are moments where our predictions felt validated because of what was said or what was quoted. But I totally agree that like I loved the end product. I loved the process of getting there, and it is upsetting to see that other people can't arrive to that same appreciation. I hope that this is kind of like one of those um, moments where people kind of like temper their expectations for the next shows because <laughs> i feel like uh we're we're definitely in for a year's worth of marvel content and i hope <laughs> we don't get these continuous endless threads of like high expectations and then just like expectations not being met but you know fandom can get a little crazy at times and i feel like it's it's fine but as long as they don't lose track of the fun in it then you know i think we're fine yeah, well, these are very passionate fans, and there's also, like, there's so many comics and so much history and lore that the directors can choose from that it could go in so many different directions, and they also don't have to, like, be, like, held to the standards of comics, so they could literally go anywhere with it, and that's the problem that it creates is that, like, a couple fans read it one way, and then their voice is heard loudest online and then that's picked up by everybody right i think the loudest voices cause the biggest <laughs> the biggest waves there the only other like disappointing thing that like has nothing to do with interviews or what was said or predictions it was that like they kind of abandoned the astrophysicist that like monica teased about right inside the episode not teased on like an interview she said oh i know somebody that would love to uh be part of this and we're going to go to his location right now and they never introduced that like that should have been something right yeah they definitely that's one thing too because i feel like the show was also trolling on on a little bit of a level because you wouldn't that's like a line that you don't just drop because then not only did they not introduce a guy because she specifically says my guy right um but they also don't ever elaborate on who that person actually is is it a missed opportunity maybe but i think it's more so like it was an oversight on their part that's a pretty bad oversight though like you could have easily just been like oh like our contact couldn't be here today like be with us because they're back in the lab but he sent this tech and like sent that rover that she used that would have been a great way to paint yours like get out of the corner that you saw that you painted yourself in you know like you have to address it because you made it part of the dialogue and they're so meticulous with every detail that they have to, like, you can't be like, Oh, they always set themselves up in a way that they could revisit this in a future movie or something like that. But then paint them with the same brush of being like, Oh, it's okay that they forgot that bit. I got to wonder if maybe they were setting something up and then at the last minute they kind of pulled back on it. That'd be interesting, but still, then cut yeah. up that one bit of dialogue. <laughs> Maybe it couldn't be cut. I don't know. Maybe. Well, it, it aired like what three episodes before? It was like episode four or five when she mentions she has a uh, engineer that would could take a no, stab. No, it, it was. It must have been seven, right? Because it was when they were kicked out of the base, and then eight she tried to get back in, and then no, walked through. 
Seven was when the person was due to arrive, but it was an episode before that that she referenced that she has somebody that could help him in that situation. I don't think it was that early, but I gotta now I gotta go back and rewatch the whole thing. It was Thanks definitely. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was episode four or five. No, no, it was episode five. Whenever she after the episode after she got kicked out of the the hack. Yes, that is right. But I didn't. I thought that was just mentioning that she had someone that she would want to contact. I'm talking about when she was like in the car with Wu after getting kicked off the base, and Darcy stayed behind. That was seven. Yeah, that was that seven. I thought that was. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe it was the end of six. Either way, um, it's a missed opportunity. Whether it was because of they had to cut for time, it still should have been like that. Should have also been cut. And that's a pretty bad oversight because that that's one thing that got fans' hopes up. What Whether I'm... it was Reed or Reed Richards or anyone, it's like you got to introduce somebody, right? I don't think it was ever going to be Reed Richards. I think, if anything, maybe a member of the X-Men or the future X-Men. Which is fine. It could be anybody. But you can't just be like, here's the tech that you ordered. Yeah, right. where's my guy? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because I forgot who it was. Somebody was pointing out to me that, like, in terms of, like, anybody who has ties to S.W.O.R.D., um, Hank McCoy, which is a beast from the X-Men. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, he had a start in, in S.W.O.R.D., so that could have been a great little tie-in. Yeah. Even if you don't, like, say or, or, like, show him, at least, like, have her pick up the phone and be like, oh, hey, and then just kind of mention his name. Um, but, yeah, anything could have been better than, like, just leaving us, <laughs> leaving us on the hook with, like, no answer at all. Yeah, but that is being nitpicky, too, um, in a way. I think this. I think the whole show altogether really worked out really well. They were bold with the style of shooting and also with, you know, giving her a very human problem to face. Like, she's the most powerful being in Marvel, right? But she has to deal with grief like any other human, and she also, at the same time, has to deal with her, like, learning her powers and fighting off somebody who wants her powers. Like, that's what I like, is giving them a very human problem. I do want to point out one quick thing, because it's been on my mind since you brought it up, and that was the timeline of Far From Home and WandaVision. Yeah. I think it lines up in this way, because we were both like, all right, how, how, like, how long does it take for WandaVision to be sorted out? But technically far from home takes place in 2023 after the snap and all that it comes into play right so right. my understanding one division takes place mere weeks after endgame mm-hmm. and far from home takes place eight uh eight months after endgame so yeah with that in mind that little line of doctor strange being busy for that movie still aligns because that could be the timeline of Doctor Strange too. I thought Far From Home was the beginning of the school year. No, it was the end of it because they were on on their summer break. Now I got to rewatch that one, but that one's a pleasure because I'll rewatch that anytime. But <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's still in play. Um, 
only reason why I bring it up is because um, I think Kevin Feige had mentioned at some point in these last couple of uh, rounds of interviews that he's done for, I think it was for the streaming uh, presentations, that um, this next Spider-Man movie almost picks up right where Far From Home left off. So we haven't really shifted too far from that timeline. Yeah, then I think that would pair up pretty nicely. And I think the Captain Marvel being off-world does as well, because... We're we're still due for a Captain Marvel two, right? Yes, I think uh, they just have a director on board now, and they're wrapping up a script soon. And I would expect Monica is part of that, and whatever Nick Fury is doing up in space is also part of that. So I think yes. this all timeline wise fits pretty nicely. Where this is the beginning, obviously the beginning of Phase Four because it was introduced, but also just timeline wise, right after Endgame, give it some time to develop they might fit falcon winter soldier in between i don't know what they're going to do with that but yeah then it's going to be dr strange in the april may timing of 2024 and then spider-man around the same time or just after that so in in universe or are you talking about our in universe so it's supposed to take place it's supposed to be a christmas movie so it's going to Take place from fall to Christmas. No, sorry, I'm talking about um, I'm talking about uh, Far From Home. Oh yeah, yeah, Far From Home would have been so that was the end of the school year, and then yeah, the new Spider-Man is going to be released in our Christmas of 2021, but of Christmas 2024. Right, in 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 universe, yep. Not that it necessarily takes place the whole Christmas either. It could just be like extended period of time. Right. Like right. We don't know if the whole movie's in that or if that was just like photo sets, uh, shots of the of the of the set was released of an end credit or the ending of the movie. Right. Not not too sure how long that the movie's supposed to kind of like take place in. Right. But all we know, it's going to be a, <laughs> it's going to be the first MCU full on Christmas movie since uh, Iron Man 3. Oh, so you think, or you think, or know that it is all a Christmas movie? They keep at, they keep talking about how it is going to be a Christmas centered movie. Oh, okay. What I what I take that to mean is like it'll wrap up around the Christmas time for them in universe. I don't take it to mean that we're going to spend the whole movie in, in Christmas because I, I don't think that's how. Because if they if, if what they say is true and it picks up almost where Far From Home leaves off. Then that's got to be like fall-ish time where it starts. I mean, yeah, it could pick up anywhere from the end of like middle or end of summer, right? But if it's a Christmas movie, so they'll they'll end up there. That that's all I know. Like it'll it'll be a few months worth of time. Right, right. Um, that's kind of going further into the predictions of the timeline. Any last thoughts on the series of Wandavision? Uh, no, I think this was a really great start to the mcu's presence in the disney plus camp i feel like uh we i i I, this was one of the shows that i was least interested in uh coming into it and it surprised me really well and i thought that you know it's a testament to what kevin feige and crew can do on the small screen but you know i i guess i just i didn't know where my expectations needed to be for this show uh, wherever they were, they were broken, <laughs> and 
I just I enjoyed the show, and I think I'm gonna treat this the same, or gonna treat Falcon and Winter Soldier the same way I treated this, which is I'm excited to watch it. I don't know where my expectations are gonna be. Um, all I know is I want a good story, and as long as we get it, I'll be happy. So yeah, I think it's gonna go into all these other shows, and it's gonna be fun to make little predictions on a week to week basis, but just not to get too entrenched in any one view and be willing to roll with the punches that they throw and just enjoy it for what they're doing. Yeah. And it's fun to speculate, but sometimes it's also ideal, I guess, to just remember that it could just be whatever's presented at face value (laughs) and not anything else. Much like this podcast. Don't come in with expectations. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Just like, Listen to us. Don't listen to us. Actually, listen to us continually, please. <laughs> just leave it on in the background. Maybe fall asleep to it, and then just give us five stars in the app store. That'd be great for us. <laughs> yeah, maybe stream it while you fall asleep, so that all twenty plus episodes are playing while you're sleeping, so you don't have to be bothered by them. But all you're also giving us a little bit of a view. That'd be great. Yeah, that's why we talk with such monotone voices. It's not because we're this boring. Exactly. And at some point, <laughs> once we're 30 plus episodes into this, we can maybe even do an ASMR themed episode or something. <laughs> Which uh, we, we are on Twitch now. So under the same name as our Twitter handle. So if you ever if we ever take it live, you could uh, catch us there. Or you could catch me there on Saturdays talking <laughs> like this into the microphone for your benefit. Streaming Pokemon. That too. Once I figure out how to stream on a Nintendo. Well, well if uh, if you've managed to last this long in this extra long episode, we appreciate it. And uh, if you feel like adding it, your voice to the conversation, we'd love to hear it. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at BT4thWall, 4 being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>